A quick note, this episode contains mentions of suicide. Limber up your fingers and fire up your vulnerability. We're going writing. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. My guest this week is Anna Marie Cox. She's a writer, founded the politics blog Wonquette. She's been an interviewer for the New York Times Magazine, a correspondent for MTV News, a podcaster. She's at work now on a memoir. Recently, Anna has become a writing instructor as well, running a series of writing classes called Third Story Workshop. She'll explain what the term third story refers to in a minute here. Stay tuned. The classes are built around identifying the story you have to tell about yourself and getting those stories written. For publication, maybe, but maybe just so you have it. I was interested in how Anna was teaching people to write because I thought it might help some of you write about what you've gone through in your own life. And I'm interested in all of that because I just believe a lot in writing. I'm a fan of the creative act of getting your thoughts into words and those words onto a page. For one thing, I believe it can really help unlock a lot of mysteries about why your mind works the way it does. That was my experience writing my own memoir, The Hilarious World of Depression, which came out in 2020. I'll talk about that in the interview as well. So let's just start the interview. Anna Marie Cox, welcome back to Depression Mode. It is really good to be here. Tell me about, um, I was going to say, tell me about the writing you've been doing, but tell me about the teaching of writing that you've been doing. I have a writing workshop that I do, and it is focused on recovery, recovery from anything. Mm. I had been teaching a workshop for specifically recovery from addiction for a mm. while. It's with a friend of mine, Jake Klisevich. We started doing a workshop at a treatment center that was designed to just help people through you know, what it is that we go through. The long climb to sobriety and maintaining thereof. And of course, that's important because part of what we do in 12-step rooms is tell our story. That is actually part of the program. And the genesis of the workshop was that I was living in Twin Cities. I had kind of dropped a little bit out of my main career, let's say. And Jake also had, he had been living in New York, working in uh, publishing, and he, we were kind of each other's like media buddy, where we would like continue to gossip about Acela Quarter, Corridor stuff and talk shop. And we were having coffee once and we were talking about how amazing it is if you go to an AA meeting, everyone's an amazing storyteller. Like nine times out of 10, someone tells their story and it's great. I, I've never been to an AA meeting, but I I have seen so many of them in movies and television. And I, I'm sure that's why. And probably not the most realistic, but it's such a clear format for that kind of storytelling. See, that's it. Because as you know, sort of in the wild, when people decide they want to write their story, it often isn't great. It, I believe we're all natural storytellers and that we get that kind of beat out of us. But the rooms of the 12 steps, we have we have a specific thing that we do, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. If you think of it about it, that's the er story. <laughs> er, that you, is like you are story. <laughs> that is the you are story. That is yeah. the story of everything. Almost every plot and yeah. anything can be boiled down to that. How it was, what happened, how is it now? Yeah, that's right. In AA the specific instruction is what I'm like today. So we realized we could actually just draw that out and teach it to people, like get them to understand that that's how you should approach your memoir too. And that those are the building blocks of a memoir, what it was like, what happened, what I'm like today. And we started doing that like seven years ago. And then pandemic happened. <laughs> Uh, I moved and 
it turns out freelance writing is not as doesn't keep me as busy as it once did. Really? Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're robots for it now. It yeah. turns out, yeah. And so my friend Chris Marshall, who has a he actually owns a sober bar down here in Austin, Texas. In Austin, yeah. Sands Bar. And he was at we were trying to like kind of brainstorm like what can I do that's not freelance writing? What 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 would be a thing? Write a book? You know, consult. What would that would consult? On? I don't know. Um, that seems lucrative, but what would I do? Right. And he said, "What do you have to offer the world? Like, what is the thing that you feel like is in your heart that you can offer?" And I was like, "Well, there's this workshop that I used to do." And so he he pointed out, and I agreed. Everybody's recovering from something. That this doesn't have to be for people recovering from addiction. And I've been doing it for a few quarters now. I do them quarterly, 10 weeks, four times a year. And uh, I had people come in uh, with trauma, um, come in with assault narratives, a couple people coming with a diagnosis of something. And it's the most enriching experience of my professional life. Really? Yeah. How do you get started? I think a lot of people listening to this episode are going to think, oh, well, I had that thing happen and and I want to talk about it. Do you approach it as a means of dealing with that thing? And like, now I'll be healthier and now I'll, I'll get it out of the way. Now I'll get so, over it. Like what's... <laughs> so what's fascinating is that I, I kind of figured a lot of this out after... I decided I wanted to teach it in a more formal way. I started doing research into why why telling our stories works so well. And it does work. So that's the first thing I should say, is that there are multiple studies out there that show that some kind of journal writing, some kind of what they call the in psychology, human behavior, sometimes called focused expressive writing. It helps people heal. And it was discovered accidentally. This the researcher was was doing some kind of research, I believe it was on actually sexual assault. And part of that was to ask students, college setting as a lot of psychological studies are, to just write about one of the things that they did was just write about what happened. And that was just to gather information. It wasn't to, the writing wasn't the point. But they found in follow-up studies that the students that had done the writing seemed to have gotten a little further in their healing, reported less depressive symptoms, reported less anxiety symptoms. So that was the beginning of the study of focused expressive writing, I think about 20 years ago. Since then, it's been looked at in a variety of ways, a variety of contexts. And among other things, it's been shown to help people process job loss and to find a job quicker, maybe. All these studies are, as with a lot of behavioral studies, small sample size, right? you know, take it with a grain of salt. There have been multiple studies on he physical healing, cancer patients, breast cancer. From writing um, about it? Yeah. Wow, okay. There's one study that shows wound healing, not curing cancer. I'm going to be very clear. Not treating the cancer, but sometimes the after effects. And also specifically, there was a study on the healing of like a biopsy, I think. Like physical and wounds, physical Physical healing. wounds. Again, small sample sizes. Yep. And Grab you your can salt put shaker. It, you can put it to, it's not the writing, it's the relaxation, you know, it's the meditative quality, whatever you want to say. But it does something. Writing about one's experience does something to the brain and the body. Hmm. that helps pull you to the other side of whatever it is it's, you're going through. Or even if you've thought you've gotten to the other side, that's the amazing thing that I've seen. It restructures your story. My, the workshop is called Third Story. Hmm. It's the story the world tells you, the story you tell yourself, and the story you tell the world. And the story you tell the world is the one we focus on. The third because one. the first two stories are probably filled with lies. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they filled with lies? <laughs> well, there's a story the world tells you. 
right? Yeah. Which often contains ill-informed uh, judgment. Ill-informed judgments of some kind, especially if you're a member of a class of people that's not in the center of things, let's say. Yep. And then there's a story you tell yourself, which often, if you're like us, if you're someone who's been through something, the story you tell yourself, you, it might be an uplifting story, but there's, I don't know about you, but I do know about you, actually. I know <laughs> about you. <laughs> you know about me. <laughs> and my dominant conscious story is one of redemption and success and onward and upward, but I still have that voice inside me that lies to me. Writing down your story helps give you a different voice. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. It is. It really is. It's it's reshaping the, the narrative that you've been given and rerouting the toxic thought patterns. And what's amazing about it the thing that is a miracle to me, but it happens every time, is it's usually not conscious. Yeah. And I focus in the in the workshop, we don't focus on that conscious part. Uh, we focus on producing three scenes. The mm. scene, what it's before, what happened, and what I'm like today. Three-act structure. Three-act structure. And everyone's like, well, I have a, I have a, not everyone, but some people, some people come in with like, well, I have a trope. I have some symbols. I have a journey that I want to get down. And those people are the hardest to kind of like break, <laughs> break, <laughs> break out of, break out of right. the thinking because they have a thing they want. They've, they've decided what their story is, which maybe that's the story they'll wind up telling, but I want them to, I, my preference and what I think is good is if they enter into the process, not thinking about that specific story, but rather trying to just inhabit the moment and tell their truth. And you mentioned this before we started recording, that when you wrote your memoir, one of the amazing things was you saw trends and probably tropes and symbols and a journey that kind of emerge. Yeah. I've I've written a full-length memoir and... and went on that journey of writing through it and kind of crafting that story. And it really was a lot like reading a novel where something happens later in the novel and you understand it because of something that happened earlier in the novel. You know, like, yeah. oh, sure, this character went through that experience and that's why he's doing this in this experience. You know, he was deprived of this thing, you know, on page 30. And so here on page 285... That's why he wants that thing so badly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you see often the the big themes. I have to say that there's not a, a ton of different ways that people are traumatized, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> you see a lot of home and comfort creeping out in terms of like the thing that they're writing about. They're writing about a memory that Sometimes it's a good memory. Sometimes it's it's a not so good memory, but it's about belonging. That's the first scene, right? There's some sense of belonging. And then the next scene, something taken away. And then the third scene is about, that's actually the surprising one, always. Really? Because that's often the part of the story that people don't know. They don't know. They don't see where they have healed or how they have healed or what progress they have made or just the new context that they're in. It doesn't have to be viewed as con as progress. That's really important actually to me is it doesn't have to be that everything's all over and I've got, I'm onward and upward. It's just where you are now, I guess progress rather progress, not perfection. What I mean to say is it doesn't have to be like happy ending. Right. So it's not this thing happened to me and then I went on a quest and then and I, I found it. it. I'm done and yeah. whatever. It's just to look backward because wherever you are, you're further along than you were. <laughs> you know, whatever you are now is different than where you, what you were like then. How do you know when you're ready to take on writing that story? Like when, when I wrote my book, it dealt a lot with my brother's death by suicide and 
I kind of saw it clearly like, oh, here was my early life. Here was the development of a depressive disorder. Here was me getting on top of it and then losing my brother and then dealing with that trauma and going forward from there. Like it, like as soon as I could kind of visualize the layout of that, of that whole story, 10 plus years after Rick's death, then I could say, okay, now I can fill this in. Now I know how the the writing's going to go for this kind of thing. Now I can, you know, accept a book deal and, and go to it. How do you know that you're in a position where you can write about the thing that you were recovering from and do so in a healthy way? So neither of us are trained counselors. Correct. (laughs) I'm not even a trained writer. I just keep doing it. And I would say that my expertise is a combination of all the writing I've been doing as a journalist and then all the recovering I've been doing. But I'm basically bringing my own experience to bear. And one of the things I'm bringing to the class, to be completely honest, and that's what this is for, I guess, is what not to do. Because in my first life, you know, as an active addict alcoholic, I'm still a recovering perfectionist. Well, I guess I'm still a recovering alcoholic as well, but I I was a perfectionist. I wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted to wait until the perfect time. I wanted to only write what was good. I, I would tie myself in knots over writing. I mean, starting, because it had to be perfect. And I have... I. I will say, like, I'm at a place where I can do pretty good first drafts, but I don't know if that's because I would put so much pressure on myself. Probably not, right? So early on, you would make the rule I would be even that you start because it would have to be perfect, and if if not, why do it? Yeah, right, right, right. And everything, everything in my life had to be perfect, and I wound up, as you know, attempting suicide, and I make a direct line between those things. From the perfectionism to the suicide attempt? What's the line? I didn't think I deserved love. I didn't think I deserved to be in this world. Unless I proved it. How would you prove it? By being perfect. Is that your recovery story? I mean, I know you have a recovery story from... All of us, yeah, we have a. I think all of us have like dozens of recovery stories, probably. Yeah, yeah. But that's one of them, and that's what I. So that to answer your question, I'm a big believer at starting where you're at, and I'm a big believer in our intuition. And so, if you want to tell your story, you're ready to tell at least part of it. And I trust students to figure out which part, and it. It's all important. Every single piece of it is important. I often think about who I want to tell a story to. Like I, I think of, and I've done this with journalism too. You know, I used to host a, a technology public radio show, and there's always some really cool new thing coming out about technology that that just would blow my mind. And so I would think, okay. I can't wait to tell my kids about this. I can't wait to tell my wife about this story. And I would approach the writing in that way. And, you know, even if it was just informational. And then when I thought about writing a memoir, when I thought about writing my my story and what I'm recovering from, I, I kind of shifted to what do I want people to know? What do I want everybody to know about what this is like? And I kind of, projected, I kind of put it all in the second person. I kind of wanted to to tell, you know, a, a certain person all those stories. Is is that, have you, have you found Again, that to be I can helpful? only tell you yeah. what has worked for me and what seems to work for the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. And I will say, it's, it's hard for me to brag on myself, but... <laughs> People seem to really like the class. <laughs> so I think I'm doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> so you also have a lifetime of accomplishments, but yes, go ahead. Yes, yes, that too. Of course, <laughs> that too. Not perfection. No. But 
but some accomplishments, yes. Although yeah. sometimes I think everything I've ever done has been actually working against that perfectionism. Like all of that stuff I did and have done and am doing is despite the fact that I put all this pressure on myself. That's a that's a, a belief I bring to this class, actually. I don't think you can beat yourself up into good work. I just don't. You know, I think I provide a supportive atmosphere for it and all those bells and whistles, but the process, you know, is is, is open source. <laughs> source code is out there and all it really requires is intentionality and a willingness to give yourself grace and compassion. I find it that other people need to remind me to give myself grace and compassion, but give it a shot. Like, I think everyone should try this. There's nothing, I, I, you know, worst case scenario, you're going to have some writing. So the good work that you're doing, or at least the satisfying, gratifying work that you're doing comes from defying the perfectionism? Yeah. Or silencing it. Yeah. I think silencing it is probably a better way. And, and accepting, just accepting myself, right? And believing that I deserve love and acceptance and to be on this planet. Right. Even if I never write another word. Well, how do you how do you teach that? I want to get to your I want to get to your oh, I want to get to your who are you writing for though. Get get to that and then I've got a follow up after that. Okay. What I advise is to kind of forget about the audience as much as you can mm -hmm. and focus on what is true. What is the truest way I can describe the situation? How can I recreate it in my head? But there are tricks, and one of them is I tell people, well, I suggest, why don't you write a friend about the class you're taking? Describe the assignment rather than do it. And that can be a sneaky way in. You right. Know? Clever. But what I really hope people do is make that moment alive for themselves in a way that you don't usually when you tell a story to someone. Like you don't talk, unless you're probably naturally good or have, or have thought about storytelling, we often don't. When, I, when I'm going to tell you the story of the last time I saw my mom, I'm not like in the parking lot. It felt like the asphalt was melting and the windows had condensation dripping like tears. And I felt my, my credit card was hot when I passed it to the guy in the motel. I don't, you don't say stuff like that, mm. right? Like when you're just telling like right. a friend. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But if I ask you, what, what do you remember literally feeling in that moment? What were the sensations that you're, what did your hands touch in this, in this important moment in your life? Can you remember how your clothes felt on your body? Can you remember what temperature it was? And those are things that you start there and you start to remember lots of other stuff. So there is a little bit of who you're writing for, but Ideally, I would like people to be, if nothing, maybe testimony. Uh huh. Testifying. Like, yeah. Testifying in a court. Uh -huh. Obviously, we don't want judgment here, but like, what is your witness account? What is your eyewitness account of that experience? And I think that can take some pressure off too. Because one thing I emphasize is don't worry about good writing, worry about getting the details right. And that will probably be good writing. More with Anna Marie Cox and me and words and writing in a moment. Are you tired of being picked on for only wanting to talk about your cat at parties? Do you feel as though your friends don't understand the depth of love you have for your guinea pig? When you look around a room of people, do you wonder if they know sloths only have to eat one leaf a month? Have you ever dumped someone for saying they're just not an animal person? Us too. She's Alexis B. Preston. She's Ella McLeod. And we host Comfort Creatures, the show where you can't talk about your pets too much, animal trivia is our love language, and dragons are just as real as dinosaurs. Tune in to Comfort Creatures every Thursday on Maximum Fun. 
back with Anna Marie Cox. Is writing about recovery a form of therapy? Neither of us. <laughs> Neither of us are trained and licensed therapists. But is that a reason to to undertake a project? I think it is, and like there that? is research that suggests that it is. Yeah. So I find it therapeutic. I also, for me, this recovering perfectionist, it almost has to be not about actually working on my memoir, right? Because mm. that's pressure. That's perfection. That's a little place for perfectionism to creep in. So I take my own advice a lot of the time. You're writing a memoir yourself. Yeah, I'm writing yeah. a memoir myself. But it is what works. If I think about what happened and not, and not is this going to be good writing? Is this going to be true? Is this going to be, you know, enough? Because a lot of, for me, I mean, it's a different podcast, but for me, a lot of the stuff that my therapist calls, you know, complex PTSD mm-hmm. doesn't seem that bad. I've been telling myself I've been saying for years. <laughs> that's not. That's not abuse. That's <sighs> not. It's not neglect. Are you kidding? Not mm. that bad. Other people have so much worse. Mm. Pain is pain, and that is not a good way to even begin writing. Well, that's what I'm wondering too about. Like how, but if I just tell you what happened, and I actually don't get caught up in judging it myself about whether or not it was worse or 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 not as bad yeah. as someone else's trauma, if I just like tell the story of what happened, trauma, no trauma, leave that aside. Just what happened, right? Don't worry about the labels. So, so then, is there such a thing as being ready to write, or is there just such a thing as as writing? I think there's just such a thing as writing. And I'm, as I said, big on trusting one's intuition about this stuff. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you're ready, there is sidebar to the, we're not professionals and consult a professional if you're unsure. Of course. Right. Uh, My experience in 12-step recovery has been that one of the things you do in 12 steps is you know, tell your story. And I've had people ask, well, part of my story is sexual assault. And I, I don't know, like, I'm always, no. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't feel ready, you can get to it later in terms of your use and addiction and whatnot. How about, how about you talk to your therapist or a professional about that? And we'll just do other stuff, you know? There's lots of different stories to tell. Sure. You don't have to get it all in one go. <laughs> and I, I have had people come to the class and think that they're going to write about, specifically, I recently that, that happened. Mm-hmm. Someone who thought she's going to write about an incredibly intimate experience and found wasn't, wasn't there. And so she wrote about something else. Mm something not quite so hot. Yeah. I When I wrote my book, I wrote two books length of, of words. I, I wrote, like, I ended up cutting half the book after I'd written the first draft because I thought, well, I better, I might not get another chance to write a book. I better write about every significant thing that's happened to me. And then I went back and cut out half of it. I might, you know, Turn it into a another lesser book later on. <laughs> <I'm not> sure. <laughs> the director's cut, the mo yeah. cut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the DVD extra that you'll that you'll have for that. But you don't regret doing all that stuff, and no. I do think that you when and and that's the most important part of what I think that I'm doing with people is not getting them. I hope that they get to whatever point they want to with their story, whether it's showing it to other people or showing it to an editor or doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. But the main thing I hope is that they get a feel for how to tell a story like this and that for whatever specific journey they wanted to describe, they f- get to the other side of that. How do you handle um, the inherent 
problem, let's call it a problem, I don't know, the situation of life not happening in, happening in a linear way, but writing needing to be one word in front of the other. Like there's, it, especially if you have things you're recovering from, it is a it is a friggin' storm out there and it's all, there's lightning and there's rain and there's flooding and it's all happening at once. So how do you, how do you go about putting it into kind of the artificial construct of linear sentence structure and writing? Well, let me ask you a question. Perfect. Are you the same person today that you were 10 years ago? Well, no. Are you the same person today that you were yesterday? Mostly, but not entirely. So we got a linear structure there, John. Okay. Okay. Time for now, time moves in a linear fashion. <laughs> and for now, most people and they're, you know, brains that don't work quite this way, but I think 99% of us, 99.999, process information in such a way that it has an effect on our behavior. Our past actions have an effect on our behavior. Even if our behavior stays the same, even if we the definition of insanity part, you know, keep doing the same thing and expect a different outcome, well, you're 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 getting more and more insane, or you're 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 <laughs> continuing to do something, you're you're doing a thing more and more that doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. Which is if you do something that doesn't make sense three times and stop, that's one story, right? Right. If you do something that doesn't make sense a thousand times, like say drink yourself into a stupor and don't stop, that's a different story. So I think, I think it's all linear. It just depends. I think what you might be asking or no. is how do, how do we get comfortable with the fact that we don't necessarily end in a place of resolution we don't necessarily end in a place that it's better than it was before we don't necessarily end where we wanted to but that last part what i'm like today yeah what it was like what happened what i'm like today it's always going to be a little bit linear like you may things make you're going to have another story but that's then that's important to know about when you tell the first one because i think there is a desire to wrap it up neatly but it's never fully neat we never fully change into something else there's always you know i'm a recovering alcoholic right i'm sober today and i can tell the story of how i got sober to today right but that's where the story has to end for the moment a short break and then more with Anna Marie Cox I'm Lisa Hannawalt and I'm Emily Heller wow Emily we've been doing this podcast for 10 years I know but hey don't worry you can jump in at literally any episode and hear us talk about some of our favorite stuff Caterpillars becoming butterflies. Martha Stewart flying around in a private jet full of trees. Yes, you heard me right. Trees. Neighbors becoming enemies. Just kidding. <laughs> Whatever messed up stuff we can find on Wikipedia. Our impeccable taste in everything from dogs to TV shows to bodily functions. And horses. Lots and lots of horses. Come for our horned up rants about the world. Stay for the catchy theme songs. You might not learn anything, but we're a good hang. Baby geniuses. Every other week on MaximumFun.org. We're back with Anna Marie Cox. Does writing about events change the memory of those events? Once you've once you've put it into a story and and formed it into this sort of linear path and and with chapters and everything, does it alter your memory of what happened? Here's where I, I'm relying on some of the 
interviews and research I did for my old podcast. Okay. As as well as some experience, personal experience. I did a series on changing your mind and mm -hmm. conversion experiences. Mm -hmm. And you probably know this too. You've been around the brain or you've been around the, a brain or two. I've been around the brains. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that the more you tell a story, the harder it is to like dislodge it. Right? That neurons that fire together wire together is something that I've heard. So it is a challenge to change a story, actually, because oftentimes those it's not necessarily correct. Just because it's the story we've always told doesn't mean it's actually what happened or that our perspective on it is the only perspective to have. The challenge is to somehow... Uh, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor. It's difficult, like to provide an alternate path. Okay. And I believe this is the person who believes in intuition. Mm -hmm. I believe that your memory starts to be a little more accurate the more that you dig around. Okay. But I also tell people not to worry about that too much right now. Yeah. As long as you're not making, we got to be, again, not therapist, <laughs> also recovered memory. Yeah. You know. Right. But you remember more. And I'll ask you, was this your experience with a memoir? It's been my experience to when I start writing about something, I'll be like, oh, yeah, and that happened too. Yeah. And then there was this. Oh, and you know who else was there? Right. I, fi I find that I, I lean on certain, certain details of a memory that sort of seem, sort of seem inconsequential, but I have to trust that they, that they mm -hmm. matter, you know, like she drove up in a brown car, you know, if, if the fact that it was a brown car sticks in my mind, I, I, I kind of have mm -hmm. to, and then I find, and then I find that the more I lean on what those memories want to tell me, the more that begins to unlock about the story. The the more that the sense memory um, mm -hmm. is revealed, the more the emotional truth is able to come out. Exactly. And that's the kind of writing I want people to do in the class is really immerse themselves in the sense memory of that past event to be honest like i am not i won't call it cheating but mary carr <laughs> uh -huh. the, in her book you know the art of the memoir she crystallizes this and she calls it carnality she writes she says you want to write within a is that a play sense. on words for the name mary carr <laughs> i don't mm think so intentionally okay. <laughs> but because that would be good uh, it, it branding be, if it was. K with a, carnality with a K, which should be like what she teaches. <laughs> Although that sounds like it's the it's like the quick version of carnality. <laughs> right. So what is, what does she mean by carnality with a C? It's sense memory. Okay. And and she points out, and it's true. And this this is something I know from journalism, which is the more detail you can give, the truer it seems, even if it's not true. Like. She points out that she, her dad was a fabulous, all of our parents are fabulous in some way, but like, the, if you say something like, remember I was wearing that, I think her example is like, remember I was wearing that, that t-shirt with the, you know, a, um, the Dallas Cowboys on it when this happened, remember? Mm. Like it, those kinds of details are easy to get someone to also remember something that didn't happen. But if you're honest with yourself, I think that doesn't go that way, right? Yeah. You're just giving yourself a, a way of unsticking those neurons. That's what I, like I said, I, if, you're, if you're giving yourself all that detail, you're making different neurons fire. And this is not totally brain science. It's just the way that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other thing about carnality is if you really just tell the truest version of the, these different scenes and, and focus on the scene and not the narrative in that scene or, or what, it's going, what the next part is going to be. It's amazing to me 
you do unlock stuff that isn't necessarily a scene. You unlock a specific feeling. You unlock a, you can unlock a meaning. And that's can be the connective tissue between things. People always want to write the connective tissue and I get, can get frustrated. What is connective tissue? What do you mean? The connective tissue between the scenes, like, and then okay. I moved to wherever and this happened. And then right. like, you know, my mom told me da, 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 da. Or, and then I realized that's a big one. People want to do it. And then I realized. <laughs> ah, the epiphany. And I'm, mm, no, 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 not yet. No, <laughs> no. There's a lot, there's frustration with some people when I, when I, and I, okay, write it. I mean, I'm, I'm just giving you my suggestion, but my suggestion is that you not put a button on this yet. Yeah. Because then you're, you, then you're, you're locking it in and you don't want it, not yet. Well, yeah, that, that's what I'm wondering about. Like, have you seen either in the stories that your students write or the stories, even the stories that are told in, in the meetings that, you, that you've been to, people looking for tidiness where, mm -hmm. where they, there should be messiness? Like, is it, a, is it a common trap to fall into? And then I realized, and then everything's okay. And then now I'm, I'm fine. Like, how do you, how do you tell a story that has a beginning, middle and an end, um, without making it, uh, without reaching for a, a tidy resolution that might not be there? I think again, my 12 step experience has prepared me as, as much as anything for that, uh, situation, which is that we all just have today. That is, I am a recovering alcoholic. My story is not over. And I believe in God today. Uh, I probably will believe in God tomorrow. Okay. This is the one day at a time stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. But I'm not going to tell you. And then I and then I came to believe in my higher power, and I believed in that higher power forever and ever after. Because mm. you know what? That higher power fucking tests me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know the power is there Test because fucking, it's <laughs> like really sometimes it really seems like not there, not there. You uh -huh. know, test my faith. Right. Uh, but I. I but I'm also okay with saying that that is how I am today. That is what my relationship is today. And in the service of selling a book or an article or just not continuing to write for the rest of our lives, literally, right? We have to end things somewhere. And we can end things in a place where things have paused. Or there has been a resolution of some kind. And again, I would say we're all different from day to day. There's always, if the resolution is, and I'm different than I was before, that's always going to work. It doesn't mean there's an answer to the problem. It doesn't mean you've, you've, you've found the thing you want to find. It doesn't mean the quest is over. But you know something more than you did when you started the quest. It is the friends we made along the way. Uh -huh. yeah, that, that, that's really, that's really what I'm trying to say. Real magic. <laughs> Real grail, <laughs> yeah. To be made along the way, <laughs> right. right. Uh, although that would be that if you were going to tell a story, one of my favorite memoirs, "How to Be Loved" by Eva Hagberg. Uh, "How to Be Loved" is the title, and I mean, literally, <laughs> her story is the friend she made along the way. And that sounds silly when we, because it's such a cliche. But how many of us who have been damaged in some way know how to be loved? Mm. I'm still know. working on it personally. What do you mean? To accept unconditional love from anyone. Mm. To believe that you're worthy of it. To love yourself. I'm still working on both of those things. Is that a theme that you see in a lot of recovery stories? Not as explicitly as in Eva's book. Okay. Uh, which I, I just... It just rocked my world. I didn't. We weren't friends before I read it, but then I read it, and I was like, "Well, I have to have her on my show." And then when she's on my show, I was like, "And now we have to be friends." Cause... <laughs> I don't do that a lot. No, but... I've, I've done that before too. Where like I, yeah. I understand someone, and I, I'll sometimes email them and say, "We're friends now." Yeah, we're <laughs> friends now. So she's a friend now. But her, I just found her book revelatory because it. I have a, ch it's hard for me to believe that people love me. Hmm. 
Still. Still. Hmm. Better. Better than I was before. A different person today than I was 10 years ago. But that doubt, where the perfectionism comes from, yeah. that doubt that that love is truly unconditional, that I really can do, that I can not write, that I can not have a clean house, that I can have my hair a mess. I've gotten over that, clearly. And I will still be loved. It's tough. Yeah. That you can, that your hair doesn't have to be tidy, but you can still ask at the beginning of this interview. This isn't a video interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, if you were, if you turned on the video right now, I'd, 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 I'd be okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd prefer to do my hair a little neater, but <laughs> so you're... only because it might be distracting to people. <laughs> Does, did your journey, you, you said you're better about the perfectionism and, and we should say your perfectionism isn't a matter of like, oh, she just likes to do things well. It's a much deeper, more toxic kind of thing. Yeah. Is your journey towards recovery on, on that front a result of writing about it? It's a result of writing. How's that for an answer? It's vague. What do you mean? Because simply writing for me, allowing myself to write in an imperfect way is part of that recovery. Okay. Like beginning to write, even though I'm not quote unquote ready to write, is a step forward for me. Or to know to know that, that gray area. Also to actually, to also not write, to be okay with my own process, to trust myself. That's been a really big part of, I think, the past couple of years for me. To not mm -hmm. beat myself up into writing, but to trust that I will know. I will know when I'm ready. Mm. Because our culture does not trust people, right? There is a big like rise and grind, even with writing. And I know some people it works that way. I get up every morning at 6 o'clock to write. I get up every morning at 6 o'clock to join a writing group. I don't always write. Mm. I sometimes write. I sometimes, if something else is like in my head, I might just take care of that first, you know, like clear the buffer. Uh huh. How does your uh, writing group work? It's a Zoom writing group. Oh, yeah. okay. Get on Zoom and talk about what you've written. No, don't actually. We don't talk. Oh, oh, you like we literally just silently write oh. on Zoom. How many people? <laughs> used to be kind of big. It's on a, it's now like four or five. Okay. <laughs> it's just a, a split screen of people writing. Of people I know writing. it sounds weird, but it's good. It's it it I've been doing it since November. Started for um Nano Remo and then has just continued. And National Novel. I did not finish up. yeah. I did not finish a novel. Okay. Um, but it's the process, it's the practice. And I believe that's what is important about that idea of, of doing, when people talk about doing it every day, mm -hmm. for me, as the recovering perfectionist, the it can't be writing my book. Yeah. It has to be making the space available with the intention of writing. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't, it, I'm not, I guess... I, I have a real also problem with the idea of procrastination. Like, I don't think, I think that is like an invention of capitalism. <laughs> that, <laughs> that we. <laughs> How well are you serving the people above you? Yes, right. Yes, exactly. Because humans just aren't always ready to do shit. Right. It's a human thing to not, to sometimes not be ready. And you to listen to yourself about what that not readiness is about. Is it about an idea coming to fruition or is it about fear, which is what perfectionism is about? Mm. If I'm not writing because I'm scared, maybe don't listen to that voice. Yeah. Or or listen to it. I mean, like, again, yeah. intuition. Like, is it the right kind of fear or the wrong kind of fear? Is this, is, it, is it a fear that's like, this is making me, this is, this is no, I will, this will break me if I share it. Mm. Mm. Don't share it. Right. If it's a fear of like, I don't know if I'm going to write it in the right way. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Do you teach when to not write? Like, how do you know uh, when? That one, that one's the one people usually get on their own. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> not writing is usually, usually people pick that up but, pretty quick. But do you ever, <laughs> I mean, do you ever tell people you're not ready to write about that yet? Like, if it's so fresh, if it's just right out of the gate, do you ever say, uh, you need to I process? I never say don't. I mean, this is a program of suggestion. Even uh, my workshop is a program of suggestion. And let's just pretend there's a little caption under this podcast, not professional therapist. Right. You know, I trust your intuition. Trust your intuition, but ask, interrogate the intuition, right? Like, the different kinds of fear. Mm-hmm. But even if it's a fear that is like, I don't know if it's going to be good enough, then part of perfectionism is maybe saying, but I'm not going to beat myself up about that fear. Mm. But I'll get to the actual not writing. There was a person in the class recently who had a thing to write about that was really difficult for her and wound up not doing a lot in terms of producing words on a screen or page. Mm. She wanted to stop coming. And I was very insistent. Again, strong suggestion. No, you are an important part of the class as a listener. You're an important part of the class to give feedback. You also, I pointed out, are different than you were when you started. Mm. And I could tell her, like, her, her way she talked about herself had changed a little bit, right? In part because whenever she would come to class and say, well, I procrastinated, I'd be like, time out, no, foul, foul. Right. Can't say procrastinated. <laughs> I don't allow that word in here. Just weren't ready to write. Weren't ready to write. That's what, I'm honest to God, I stop people when they, when they say they procrastinated or, or couldn't mm-hmm. do something. Weren't ready. Weren't ready. Yeah. And... The last day of class is our recital. And I reached out to her and said, I really want you to come. I know you may not have anything to share, but I really want you to come. And she did. And she had written something that was, it was incredible. Because she was ready to write it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's, there's a resolution button on that story. Maybe nothing else will ever happen. Like, I don't know. It wasn't me. It was her, definitely. Yeah. But I don't know. It, I think you, I, trusting that it will come, that I, and that's the other thing as I tell people, you are a writer. You are a writer. Mm. You come to this. You, you have decided you want to write. That makes you a writer. Mm. And... I trust that you will do it. You need to trust that you will do it. I feel very self-conscious about saying this stuff because it's, I, I feel it's so ingrained that the hustle and the write every day and, you know, you can't, I got, because I probably say procrastination a bunch in my life when I'm telling people not to say it, uh-huh. my Instagram feed is filled with how to stop procrastinating ads. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I don't know if everyone's is, and I don't know if it's a thing in culture, but it just may, I should need to do the thing where I tell them to stop showing it to me. Yeah. Because there is so much money to be made in, t- in, in trying to get people to go along with this idea that you have to be more productive all the time. To create more product. Create more product all the time. Always be creating. Yeah. Always do content. Always be contenting. Hit the quota. Hit the quota. For the and factory I just, boss. I just really believe that people are inherent creative storytellers and that part of unblocking and this has been true for me this is my experience is that i only could write my book proposal when i started to be able to forgive myself for not writing it 10 years ago Mm. how's the book coming how's the memory (laughs) i'm actually i'm thinking about starting a podcast called how's the book coming yeah (laughs) Um, where authors who are in the middle of writing a book would come on and talk about how they respond to that question. Oh, damn. That's a good one. That's a good one. Thanks. (laughs) You can be a guest. Okay. I better better start writing a book. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I I now well you could talk about how you responded to it when you were ah, writing. Okay. Uh, I now say it's going great. Okay. Now, how many words have I produced? I don't know. Some. Actually, I'm not counting, but there's some. Yeah. How many things have I done that are research? Well, my life kind of right now is research. Is research every day. It is. I mean, I have to like, I can't, so this, people don't know, this is a story of my relationship with my mom and why I lived, right? Why did I come to a place where I could stay sober, mm -hmm. at least until today? And she drank herself to death. And that's required an incredible amount of introspection. <laughs> yes. And doing various kinds of therapy. Um, and a lot of talking. Mm -hmm. And a lot of still healing, because I don't know if I'm still on the other side of stuff, you know? Mm. Like, I had... As you know, like, as everybody, everybody had shitty last three years. Yeah. But I had a lot of stuff happen that put me in a place that was pretty dark. And the idea for the book came from my deciding I was going to live through it. And I still am living through it. At some point, I'll have to decide that that's that I've gotten far enough to. I've gotten enough different than I was before. Uh -huh. <laughs> that it's a good story. The hero has the gone on a journey. Yeah, the hero has gone enough of a journey because every well, well, you could write a story from today to tomorrow. Like that's not as good a story as from ten years ago to today. Right. right? So at some point, I'm going to have to decide it's a good enough. That I've been on far enough journey. I've found out enough that's good enough and also not perfect. Yeah. They're good enough. Good enough. That's the other podcast. <laughs> good, enough good enough. With Anna Marie Cox. For, rec for recovering perfectionists. <laughs> Man. I, I imagine the production process on that. It would just be uh, shitty. <laughs> it would just be music coming out all over the place. And... It'd be like noise in the background. Right, right. The theme song would start 10 minutes after the end of the podcast. Good enough. Anna Marie Cox. Kind of love that idea. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You can learn more about Anna's workshops at thirdstoryworkshop.com. You can learn more about stories by going to the library. Next time on Depression Mode, you're going to therapy. Great. How do you get the most out of it? We have advice from a therapist. Lori Gottlieb is with us. We want to thank everybody who's become a member of Depression Mode. You are making this show happen. You are getting this show out to the rest of the world, and we appreciate it. If you haven't yet joined the show, it's easy to do. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Find a level that works for you and then select Depression Mode from the list of shows. Be sure to hit subscribe. Give us five stars. Write rave reviews. All of that helps us get our show out into the world where it can help people. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24-7 for free in the United States by calling 988. The Crisis Text Line, also free, always available, Text HOME to 741741. Our Instagram and Twitter are both at DepressPod. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Crushies. We talk about the show and we talk about all sorts of things related to mental health. It's a great community. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search that up. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at John Moe. Our electric mail address is depressmode at maximumfun.org. Hello, Credits listeners. Speaking of writing, I use the Oxford comma in my writing. If you don't, we can still be friends, but there will always be some tension. 
Depression Mode is made possible by your contributions. The show is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing No one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer I just keep on dancing I'm Jack Probst from St. Louis, Missouri and I'm here for you Fresh Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.